welcome to Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I'm Luke, and this week on the show we have Al Ewing, writer of several series that I've been a major fan of, including Loki, Agent of Asgard, The Mighty Avengers, Captain America, and The Mighty Avengers. The only parts of Age of Ultron that Devin and I were really positive about, and you're also going to be writing a few other series coming up soon, uh, Al Ewing. How are you doing? Yep. Uh, hello. I'm uh, not doing too bad. Uh, how about you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. So this episode we're going to be talking about some of the Judge Dredd-inspired stuff because in your recent miniseries for Secret Wars, uh, Captain Britain and the Mighty Defenders, you brought back the Judge Dredd-inspired universe. So I wanted to talk about some other occurrences that uh, Judge yeah, Dredd uh, brought in. Yeah, there's been a there's been a few times that um, uh, American comics have sort of parodied uh, Judge Red, but I think I think Marvel definitely have had two of the best. Although I think Ambush Bug uh, had it a go a couple of times, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun too. But I think I think today we're going to be mostly focusing on the on the two big Marvel ones. Yeah, and looking up uh, Judge Dredd doing my research for the episode. He, like, first showed up in the second issue of 2000 AD in 1977, which was, I guess, earlier than I expected, because I see him as a very 80s character in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think um, some of the best stuff came along in the 80s. 2000 AD took a while to sort of hit its golden age. Um, I think the first the first hundred issues or so, it's really finding its feet, and that includes Dread. And then, then it starts getting really good, and then by about 200 onwards... 200, 300, but by about 200 onwards, it's really, it's really hitting its stride. It's really starting to like push the boundaries of game. And then, and then by about, by about 300 or so, you're well into the golden age. So certainly by the time 1980 rolls around, you're, you're well into the golden age and you're, you're definitely into the golden age of dread because by then, uh, Brian Bolland's been doing an awful lot. They've, by then they've fleshed out the world and they're really, they're really having fun, fun with the concepts, uh, at that point. In fact, I think it's quite it's about something like five years in that the apocalypse war happens. And that's probably when things really start start to get very good. I mean things things basically get better and better for two thousand AD until until as well into his teens, I think. So, you know, most most of the eighties is, is pretty much gold, uh, at least from my perspective. So the first story that we're bringing up uh, is the introduction of Justice Peace, uh, which yeah. happened in uh, The Mighty Thor, uh, number 371 and 372, which was in September of 1986. So, so he'd yeah, been... Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, like, Dread would have been around for, for about nine years. Um, he'd have been well established. This would have been after that Amazing Heroes issue where he's on the cover, I'm guessing. The... Because there was a point, a point around this point in like the mid '80s where I feel like American kind of comics culture and the, the comics cognoscenti were really sort of noticing Dread in 2008, and partly that would have been the art, and partly that would have been some. Of, I mean, the stories were absolutely brilliant, and mm-hmm. um, you know, people have people have noticed those as well. But having Brian Boland do so many certainly wouldn't have hurt. Yeah, this is just this piece. Which I think is the first serious dread of homage uh, there's been in, in American comics. I, I can't think of any early ones. Maybe Mad might have done something slightly beforehand, but that's possible. I, I don't think Mad really touched him until the Stallone film, but um, it's I don't know. It depends when when Epic happened because obviously Martial Law was uh, leaning very heavily on dread, but I think this was before that. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure. The two issues were by Walt Simonson, who was on the writing during the time. Uh, Sal Buscema was on pencils. Albert Blevinson was on the inks. Max Scheel was on colors. And John Workman did the lettering, which is really fantastic in the episode, because he does a lot of the uh, sound effects as well. Oh, yeah. No, John Workman's sound effects are absolutely fantastic. They're one of my uh, abiding memories of, uh, of Thor. The story as we introduce that there's some other stuff that's concerning long-term Asgard politics, which aren't really relevant. But uh, Thug Thatcher, who was a 
really old school Thor villain from Journey into Mystery number 89 uh, has come back to get revenge on Thor and he's enlisted his wife who Thor wiped uh, his girlfriend at the time uh, Ruby's memories of Thug because he was a horrible person and so she's had this guy who she doesn't remember at all just show up, threaten her two kids, and she's trying to figure out what she can do to save her kids. That's, that's going on. And I think at the same time he's breaking out another old villain, um, which I don't have... I actually know Thug Thatcher a bit better than the Zaniac. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Zaniac is from the 70s. Zaniac was another character who had been introduced in the uh, run, but he was... Uh, in the uh, Simonson run, but he wasn't really... Oh, okay. Like, he's one of those forgettable parts that you get in the series. It's like... He does, he does seem quite 70s. Like, the name and the, um... And the kind of... The whole serial killer vibe. It sounds like something Steve Gerber might have come up with. So, I'm quite surprised to hear that it's sort of original to that run of thought. Yeah. Not that... I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> completely sure you know, I haven't done any research on the Zodiac now. Uh, Zaniac even. So, um, <laughs> it happens. So, you know, I'm showing my, showing my ignorance there. Uh, yeah, and he turns out to be some sort of space alien. Yeah, it's like hard to tell if he's a demon or an alien because he just keeps infesting different hosts and then whenever the yeah. host dies, he explodes. And Into a sort of a shower of vermin, like alien vermin. Yeah, it's like, like little, little demonic rats and Things that sort of scurry towards the nearest living being and and sort of uh, bite them and infect them with Zaniac's personality, mm-hmm. yeah, which is pretty much killing women and selectively quoting Barbarella. Yeah, he does keep uh, calling them pretty, pretty. Yeah, it's all very sort of creepy. There's a there's a suggestion at one point in this these two issues that he was he was Jack the Ripper. Yeah, which. Which I'm not sure is still in company. It's a little. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, that's well, a bit like bringing in bringing in sort of actual murders. Well, like uh, Thunderbolts also introduced their own Jack the Ripper explanation, and I'm pretty sure there have been others. Cause... Yeah, that's that's the other problem I have with it is that there's about six Jack the Rippers running around in Marvel continuity. Yeah, but uh, that's comics for you, and so oh, yeah. uh, Justice Peace has come back in or has come back in time on his uh, hopsicle, which is like a motorcycle meets Orion's Astro Harness. Yeah, it's based on based on the Lawmaster, which, uh, for those not familiar with Dredd, uh, he gets about on a bike with massive tires, like, as, you know, as wide as a small car. Yeah, basically, he's, he's got this bike, which has a computer in it that uh, kind of obeys his commands. So it'll, it'll drive without him, it'll shoot people on his orders. Um, and you can kind of see with the hopsicle, I mean, the, the kind of bike in Dread is still a very big... And I think we'll see when we get to Boss Cage that this, this goes away. But at the time at the time the Thor storyline is happening, at the time uh, Dread would have influenced this, uh, the bike was still a massive part of the look and the, the kind of... Um, uh, I'm searching for the word, the sort of ambience, the kind of uh, the, the look and the feel of Dread. He was he was a sort of hyped up motorcycle cop. He was this sort of very very much still uh, Dread himself was very much still influenced by like Death Race 2000. The idea of like Dread would ride up and sort of you know deal deal some justice with his bike cannon. Um, and I think as the strip went on and the future politics of Dread's world. Uh, became more of a thing. You started to see a lot more of Dread kind of standing, like without the bike. A lot more of Dread sort of on his own. I mean, you still you still get the bike. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much of this has just been talking, you know, talking out of my hat. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure. Certainly at first, the bike was much more central to Dread than than it perhaps is now. Uh, yeah. But you know, anyway, Hot Scope is very much based on Dread's bike uh, to the extent that I believe it talks back and has. And obeys commands. Does it actually talk or? I, I don't it believe obey? it talks on this. Oh, okay. But yeah. But it does. It does obey. It does like. Because uh, Justice Beast definitely talks to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's it's definitely got a mind in it. Yeah. Think, so. 
And he just comes through the portal, and he's immediately accosted by the sight of these jaywalkers, yeah. And so he implants them with uh, DNA chips from a gun. Yeah, that is, um, yes, he immediately shoots a bunch of jaywalkers, and they find themselves unable to jaywalk anymore, and turning back towards the pavement. Uh, the sidewalk, which is which is obviously hilarious. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that struck me because I remembered just this piece as being fairly cuddly because obviously he doesn't shoot the jaywalkers. He doesn't like beat them up or it feels quite peaceful. He just sort of shoots them with a thing that they they seem to barely feel. And then you know, there's there's something very creepy about taking over their minds and making sure they can never jaywalk again. Yeah, but. Um, Beyond that, it's quite it's quite peaceful. It's more it's more peaceful than what Dread would do, which is uh, ride up, smash them around the back of the head with some sort of titanium bat um, that he keeps on it, called the Daystick, and then probably lock them up for six months to a year, depending on whether they talk back. Um, or of course, if they try to run away, they mm. get more time. Uh, so there's none of that. But at the same time, I was quite surprised that the attitude of Justice Peace is. Pretty much everything he says, aside from the terminology, so it's a hot stuff, everything he says you could imagine coming out of Dredd's mouth. Like, there's a bit right after that where he stops a news vendor to sort of ask, ask, you know, what year it is. And the news vendor just sort of gapes at him, and you get this panel of justice piece, like, snarling, are you deaf? I asked, you know, I asked you what the day was. And that's, that's a very sort of dread thing. It's like, immediately snarling, you know, aggressive, in your face. Um, and he's pretty much right up until um, the plot needs him to be more accommodating. He's like absolutely in everybody's face, um, using using these sort of quite non-violent, quite peaceful methods. That you know, because I'm, I'm assuming the kind of brutality that Dread uses a wouldn't work on Thor, and b would be out of place in in a Marvel comic of that time. Yeah, especially Thor. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just couldn't work on Thor, you know, you can't... Dread could not beat up Thor, but he could probably shoot him with something, and that's what Justice Peace ends up doing. I'm getting slightly ahead. Yeah, uh, he uh, Thor shows up because Justice Peace has started shooting random civilians with his uh, gun, and they immediately start fighting, and uh, Justice Peace traps Thor in a high-density plasma, which allows Justice Peace to run away, or, well, I guess, get off to his uh, mission, noting that he uh, came back too early in time. And now one other uh, note that I found is that Justice Peace's look, like at least his chin, was based on uh, Mark Grunewald, who was the longtime Marvel editor. I did not know that. That's, uh, that's brilliant. Because mm-hmm. um, you see a lot more of his face than you do Dredd's. Because um, you got to look at, I think, the eye and the nose, and uh, and you know, obviously, you got the, the mouth and the chin. But it's really only only his right eye that is covered, and you know, obviously, the sides of the head, but of the helmet. Um, it's it's slightly reminiscent of Deathlock with that with that right eye being covered. I don't know if that's intentional. Well, and especially with the uh, color scheme, where it's very like red and uh, sort of patriotic yeah. colors. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a big star right in the middle of the chest mm-hmm. with uh, with his name on it, which is obviously a kind of reference to Dred's badge, but at the same time, it's a little reminiscent of Captain America as well, was that? Yeah, you know, with a big star in the middle of the chest. So uh, it's a great costume. It's yeah, like, absolutely fantastic stuff. Who was it who designed it? Was it um, Paul Sal Skinner or? Uh, I don't have any notes on that. Because there are bits of it that do seem quite Simon, Simonson-esque. Yeah, it's very possible that he may have uh, illustrated everything. So Justice Peace having sort of taken care of, of Thor with this sort of shell from his, uh, the hopsicle, basically goes back to Chicago, uh, by which time Zaniac has possessed Thug Thatcher through a, a series of events. And then Thug Thatcher has gone to kill Jane Foster, which was his mission. Uh, because, you know, he's a horrible, horrible soul. And, uh, I mean, this is an example of what Thug is trying to do here is, is fridge Jane Foster, effectively. He's, yeah. um, he's doing, he's doing the women in refrigerators trope to, um, 
because the, his entire plan is, oh, I'm going to kill Jane Foster, and that's going to make Thor very sad. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good thing for me. Yeah, well, and he already uh, fridged Ruby uh, before the original Xaniac got killed and went into Thug Thatcher's body. It's especially fridging when a female character dies to make a male character feel bad. Yeah, it, it's not as much fridging, but it is the sudden and sort of yeah. overall death without mm-hmm. any reason. which and, and kind of needless. And it's, yeah. Ruby gets a very bad deal. Um, I don't know if we want to spoil what comes later, but basically Ru- Ruby does not get to come back from the dead. No. It's fairly arbitrary that she doesn't. Uh, and it's basically through, so there can be a storyline with her two kids. Yeah. Um, being adopted by Volstagg. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess I guess that could be called a kind of fridging because those two kids do feel very bad. Yeah, and it's sort of their recovery over what happened to their yeah. mom. So it is It is the death of three my characters sort of kickstart a plot. But this is all, this is all sort of incidental. Yeah. Um, to what we're talking about, which is Judge Dredd Homages. Yeah. Uh, um, we do uh, finally have Thor, who introduces himself as an Avenger, which is a legally... Makes all the difference. Yeah, that yeah. makes all the difference. And so uh, Justice Peace gives his backstory, where he comes from the future, where Brooklynopolis is this massive city, and World War Three has happened, and the mayor of Brooklynopolis... Uh, her murder by the Zaniac led to a massive nuclear war, and the Zaniac got killed by Justice Peace, but he exploded into vermin. I'm gonna, I'm gonna correct you slightly. That it's actually oh, yeah. Justice Mills. Ah. In a kind of nod, which I'm assuming um, the coincidence is too great otherwise, is a nod to uh, Pat Mills, who was one of the one of the big minds behind Dread, um, in that he was 2080's first editor. And helped. Uh, it's a long, complicated story that is much better told in places like Thrill Power Overload. But he was one of the hands that shepherded, along with John Wagner and Colossus Carrot, he was one of the hands that shepherded uh, Judge Dredd into being. Um, and, and many others, you know, Jack, I could mention Jack Adrian, obviously Mike McMahon had a big part. There was, it took a lot of people to sort of just state Dredd. Um, it's generally boiled down to John Wagner and Colossus Carrot. But there are a lot of hands at work. So uh, we sort of get a brief history that the Zaniac has always been around in one form or another. But the only time where they actually have a point in history where they could track him was in Chicago on this date. Which is why he got sent back. And there's a 24-hour period where either Justice Peace can deal with everything that the Zaniac has caused. Or he's going to be stuck in a time loop forever. Which will... Or he'll be... Uh, destroyed in the time stream instead of coming back. Pretty much. I think by the time he gets to the root house first, I believe, and finds a lot of corpses, and that's where Thor fights him, and they have a very, very brief tussle, like maybe a page, before Thor reveals he's an Avenger, and then they head off to uh, Jane Foster's place. Except she's already there. Yeah, and she was also pregnant at the time. I did not Wow. Or, or that's what I got from the art because it looks like she is pregnant, like her stomach is large, though. Okay, well, mm, yeah. Um, it makes it more troublesome little, if that's the case. A little icky, but uh, she, you know, a couple of pages later, uh, she's alive again. Yeah. Because um, how after doing it's it's quite this remind, this bit reminded me of quite a lot of the first Superman film. Because after um, after doing his uh, a page of news, um, Thor basically Justice Peace reveals that he can, if he gets a charge, uh, a kind of a power charge, he can skip back to time mm-hmm. a little way. And Thor, being Thor, can can give him a charge. He also mentions hammer used to allow him to travel through time, so he hopes that some of the residual magic yeah. might also help with that. That's been that's been established already. That doesn't come out of nowhere because the get out of the Shackman, which were you know unbreakable, he used his hammer to create a space warp mm-hmm. and basically walk through them, uh, which is the kind of thing that he did a lot in the Thug, um, way 
way back in the very first issue, he do that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, and I think he does it several more times over the course of the Silence and Run. But it's it's something that's established like in the issue itself, which is always good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he immediately used another spacewalk to get back to the point where Thunfatch was just about to be infected and destroyed uh, Zaniac. And then Thunfatch had died anyway. Yep. Um, mm. And that's about it for Justice Peace. Yeah, he uh he has to go he has to go back. And Thor gets just enough time to sort of say something about tempering justice with mercy, I believe, or that Uh my sorrow is not for Thatcher's death, but for the waste of his life. Yeah. And then I Justice Peace responds with uh it's not part of the was it the Hammerabic genetic code? Yeah, the Hammerabic code. This is something that's apparently implanted into them all on a genetic level. Uh, Justice Peace does make a few more appearances in the future, mostly dealing with the Time Variance Authority, but now we're going over to the next, even more direct homage of Judge Dredd yeah, that shows up in Dark Avengers Volume 2. Just Justice Peace was something that, if you sort of, if you knew what it was homage to, you'd sort of get at the joke. Uh, Boss Cage, who is very much, uh, you cannot avoid picking up references, um, it's a much more, it's a much more direct homage, and one I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking as um, a big dread buff, I thought it wasn't. It, I mean, it wasn't just a, a very good uh, homage of dread, but it was a very good nod to what was happening in dread at the time. In that dread, we'll get into this, but Boss K, he's one of the line of clones of uh, Luke Cage's grandson. You know, after some a terrible catastrophe, which is sort of unfolding elsewhere in the face of Dark Avengers. Uh, which led to emergency to it. I think it's something like the surviving, the surviving people institute the boss system involving clones of uh, the greatest kind of heroes and, and lawmen of the time. Mm-hmm. And what's what's happening with Boss Cage is that he's getting old. And a big a big subplot during these issues is that they want to retire him. They want to put him out of pasture. And that was something that was happening a lot in Dread. He'd uh, and it has been going on for about ten years. There's. There was there was a a period I think in the middle nineties maybe even late eighties where Dread uh, started to visibly feel his age on the page. You get stories. There's a story called In the Bath where Dread spends the whole thing in in a hot bath and manages to arrest a couple of people from inside it. And the whole thing is a meditation on how how old he's getting and how scarred and beat up he is and how you know he's not going to be able to carry on forever. And then quite. Relatively soon after that, he actually ended up taking the long walk, and uh, which is what happens to judges. They go out into the the radioactive wilderness outside the city to sort of take the law to the lawless until death. But yeah, basically from then on, it's been and um, I think at the time, at the time this was coming out, it had swung from dread is getting very old and it's starting to feel he's getting very old to everyone else thinks dread is getting old and elements within Justice Department are starting to sideline him. So, you know, having having what's happening to Boss Cage, which is elements within his his kind of version of Justice Department, the boss system, uh, trying to sideline him, that's actually a really, it's a really clever nod. It's a really sort of up-to-date uh, homage to, to the feel of Dread at the time, which was partly the kind of fascist super cop that we all love to hate, and partly a meditation on you know, getting old. And then within the series at the time, you also had the sort of transition from the Thunderbolt series to the Dark Avengers series, yeah. where you had these uh, two teams being balanced. There was the Thunderbolts, which were the team of super villains who were being sort of redeemed through their actions that consisted of Centurius, Moonstone, Satana, Boomerang, Ghost, Mr. Hyde, Troll, and Man-Thing, who has just developed the ability to talk in the uh, universal language, which uh, Jeff Parker was kind enough when I reached out to uh, give me a brief summary of why. And he uh, basically said that was what he figured always held Man-Thing back compared to DC's Swamp Thing. So uh, while like Swamp Thing got to go on to be a plant god, Man-Thing just lumbered around giving people sick burns, as he said. So I was keeping it as the long game for our stories. I felt if it happened suddenly, it would be undone just as suddenly. So I made it a development of a, the time travel story. Man-Thing by the end speaks in whatever way you expect to hear him. So in theory, it should be impossible to write him wrong. 
And unfortunately, after the Dark Avengers run, when Man-Thing uh, gets freed from the uh, adventure that is currently on, uh, he does stop talking forever. Or, well, no one else has brought that back in his appearances. Yeah, that's that's the, the trouble. It's it's hard to sort of make uh, make a change like that, really. Yeah. What did what did because um, I I know you you'd reached out to Jeff Parker. Um, mm-hmm. I what did he have to say about Boss Cage? Because I'm gen- I'm generally curious as to uh, as to what he said. The main thing that he said was that uh, he wanted Kev Walker to draw the entire Boss Cage story because it was built around him as a uh, 2080 artist, and he got to do some of it, but Parker said he really would have loved to see him draw the end where Cage takes off his helmet and then he sort of fades out. Sort of an homage to 2080 and Dread. Kev Walker was the perfect artist to introduce Boss Cage, so I remember, because I picked those issues up at the time as a reader. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Boss Cage gets introduced on the on the last page of one, and just turning the page and seeing this, and it, it, it is a, a marvelized version of Dread. He's got the the Punisher symbol instead of the eagle. He's got a very Iron Man like armor, and um, uh, he's got law, a Ghost Rider wheels. Yeah, the Law Master is right. He has the flaming wheels. It's uh, the, he's fighting mutants in the kind of in the cursed earth. Um, I think all the mutants are like X-Men Storm mutants, and there might be a Doctor Octopus there. Uh, the Octo-Wizard. Yeah, so it's like this homage uh, to bring in these, all these Marvel elements and just sorting them in. And that's something that I, I kind of tried to carry on when when I sort of brought the character back for, for the Mighty Defenders. I, I kind of took a bunch of elements of Dread's world and thought what would be the Marvel equivalents of that. Mm-hmm. And so... It was another war machine. Uh, was a, that was that was very much the And uh, the Emma Frost. Yeah, yeah, Emma Frost is in the Cassandra Anderson one. I believe there's an Anderson in this as well. There's there's Boss Sanders. Yeah, it struck me as the the Anderson figure. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was you who had introduced the Emma Frost figure, or I remember there being a blonde woman in the Dark Avengers role, but. No, this was uh, just someone who we don't really get a lot more information on. Yeah, I think I think it's more uh, Anderson as Dread's sidekick rather than Anderson as like psychic judge. But I, I, I definitely wanted a psychic judge, and yeah. Emma Frost was right there. So you know. Uh, we also did get uh, references to some of Boss Cage's bigger enemies, including Ted Toxic, yeah. the God Lords, uh, Jackstrom, and Boss Venom. Now, Boss Venom is definitely Judge Death. Guessing, judging from the look of on the screen, um, the one the one with the cape and the kind of Galactus bits on that, that's either the Judder, who were uh, Judge Clone, a crazed geneticist made, who had helmets like that, and were basically they were all sort of clones of Dread and other great judges, but vastly bigger and tougher. And that was part of uh, the Oz storyline, which was quite a. Uh, Mostly revolving around sky surfing, sort of flying surfboards, but uh, also had this in it. And the other thing that could be is the Law Lords, who are sort of alien, alien versions of the judges from a far-off planet. And you know, following the kind of common thing of a lot of Judge Dredd's enemies of being like Judge Dredd but worse, mm-hmm. in that they sort of they have their own version of the law, which is uh, vastly more punitive, mm. vastly more punitive than uh, than anything. Uh, Judge Dredd can come up with, and they're sort of every sort of them they try to bring it to Earth by force. And, and you know, there, there's another one, and that could be the God Lords, and that could be either of those would be a good fit for them. Ted Toxic, I have no idea. There's what looks like a, a kind of sinister looking boss up on the screen with the other baddies, so I that might be Rico Dread. Dredd's uh, evil brother, who is another clone. Both Dredd and Rico were cloned from Chief Judge Fargo. Stop me if this game boring. Both <laughs> Dredd and Rico were cloned from, like, Chief Judge Fargo, uh, who was, you know, which is a whole other story. But Rico came out bad, essentially, and uh, grew to hate the law. I actually, I wrote a Dredd Year One novel called uh, Where I Am, which you can get on Amazon. And there's been other novels by Michael Carroll. Get into the whole Rico Dread thing. Basically, what 
what happened was Rico started taking protection money from people. You know, General Criminal D. Dredd caught him, sentenced him to 20 years on the airless moon of Titan, where in order to survive there, they have to seal up your face and you end up looking like a half-robot freak. So, uh, which also, obviously, that gave Rico a brilliant look. Uh, but then, unfortunately, because Dredd is not the kind of place where villains usually get to have more than one go. Rico, after his 20-year sentence, came back to work. He got lots of lots of great lines like, I'm calling Judge Dredd, tell him it's Judge Dredd, and lots of, oh, there's only one Judge Dredd, oh, and, and all of this stuff. Eventually, because of the, the higher gravity of Earth, Rico's not as fast in his drawer as he used to be. He's been on Titan, which is lower gravity. He's, he's used to that. Uh, so Dredd basically shoots him, shoots him there. All this happens in six pages. And at the end, Dredd carries uh, Rico's lifeless body to the Reach cycling plant, saying, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. <laughs> uh, and that was, I think, the possibly the best six pages of 2008's first year. That's all in Prog 30. And that's that's basically haunted Dredd ever since, in one way or another. And it's 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 been come back to many times. But yeah, that's probably that's probably a good fit for Rico Dredd. Jack's completely new. I don't think Dredd's ever faced anyone like that. Unless there was somebody in 2008 at the time. Uh, that might be something you'd have to ask Jeff Barker about. Yeah, I will. Uh, uh, I cannot, I I cannot will. give you my best my best guess. Jack. Uh, and but the other the other option for Ted Tox is PJ Maybe, um, a serial killer who's who is one of the few Dread villains to live, and is basically Dread's equivalent of the Joker, hmm. in that he's not sort of Dread's evil opposite. He's he's the only criminal to sort of regularly get away with it and regularly escape, uh, because he generally he generally honoured enough not to get killed, and because he's insane. He gets, uh, he's, he's never sentenced to death. He's always put in the, the Psycho Cubes, which is the, the sort of Dreadworld equivalent of Arkham Asylum. Hmm. In that, um, there aren't that many famous and insane Dread criminals, so it's really only PJ Navy. So it's, it's a lot of one man asylum. And it's a lot better defended, so he only gets out once every several years. Uh, but once he does get out, it's always very difficult to put him back in. So in I think there's a whole trade of the early, the early PJ stuff, certainly the first half of his career. Uh, you can you can get that at the, the 2008 web store, I believe. Sorry, I, I know I've been digressing a lot <laughs> during this podcast. Uh, I, I can talk about Dread a lot, and hopefully it's all of some kind of interest. No, I, I definitely um, enjoy listening to people talk about what they love, so I mean, this is fine for me. But yeah, I'll quickly run over the storyline there are two teams. There's the Dark Avengers, which were Norman Osborn's team of the Avengers that consisted of Avengers lookalikes at the time. And they are uh, Ragnarok, which is an evil robot version of Thor. Uh, Trickshot, who is Hawkeye's brother, who's also really good at arrows. Toxie Doxie, who is a genetic manipulator. And Iapek, who is a spider god. And they are in the present day... Uh, being forced to work with Luke Cage, uh, Mach 5, and Songbird, since the FACT, who is the Federal Auth- Authorization Collective on uh, Thunderbolts, they're the people who gave the Thunderbolts their mission, have said, yeah, you aren't going to waste any more resources trying to find them, they're lost forever. And so they're sent to go and invade the country of uh, Sharzad, which had been introduced earlier in Jeff Parker's run on Red Hulk where uh, this guy named Sultan Magus controls everything, and he literally controls the land, he can make monsters out of it, and at the heart of everything is a Rigelian alien ship that they're trying to get at, uh, while also retrieving a, a, meta-hu- or a mutant who was sent in before uh, named Winder, who no one really knows why he is supposed to be brought into the power source, uh, meanwhile, the Thunderbolts who I mentioned before just finished getting sent further and further back through time because of uh, Man-Thing, who was reaching his ultimate form. They were on their way back until a angry Doctor Doom who they met messed with their time machine and sent them to the outskirts of Mondo City 1. As soon as they're on the outskirts of Mondo City 1, which stretches from what used to be Manhattan to Washington, D.C., 
they are uh, set upon by Boss Cage. And I think at that point, Boss Cage is set upon by some mutants yes. who sort of see him having trouble and, and sort of join, join in. And in the course of that, we get to see some more sort of dread-like action. Uh, but in the course of that, he's forced to set his bike to explode uh, in a nuclear explosion. Which that's brought back to Bison later because it's no no boss has had to do that in in there, several years I believe or decades thirty years they said yeah and it's taken as a sign that he's sort of getting older and uh, and not able to hack it anymore and there's a new boss cage clone which I think is number five which is in the works and that is a very dread plot of this era of the sort of um, I mean this would have been what about two thousand and ten eleven. Uh, I think 2010. Yeah, that was that was definitely a, a dread plot of around around 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the kind of thing that was that was happening. There were, I mean, like I said, you've got all the dread getting old stuff. You've got all the machinations behind the scenes. You've also got other clones of dread uh, turning up. Um, I know I've mentioned several. Doesn't the evil clones of dread already? But there is another Rico dread who's a sort of younger version, which is basically dread's replacement, but is on the streets now. And dread had to sort of train him. I'm, I'm sort of simplifying this like there are various younger clones of dread. There's almost the sort of Shazam family of, uh, or Marvel Man family. There's a sort of there's Rico, although he's probably been on the streets for about ten years now. So you know he's not that young anymore, but at the same time he's a lot younger than dread. And then you've also got Dolman, who is a cadet version of Dread, who was also produced, again, as a possible replacement, because it's very good stock, it's very good sort of genetic stock. Uh, but he decided he didn't um, he didn't want to be a judge just on principle, because wanted to prove that he had the choice, which is a great story, mm-hmm. uh, sorry to spoil it. And he's now a sort of civilian advisor. And then there are probably about something like seven or eight others in tanks somewhere. But it's a constant thing that Dread can be replaced, and is, and they are growing clones to do that. So, and that was something that would have been probably in the in the comic around when Jeff Parker mentioned whether or not he's a regular two thousand eighty reader or. Oh, uh, no, I didn't uh, ask. But I, I I would be very surprised if he's not. But, yeah. You know, not to. Not to put, put words, not to put comics in his in his long book. It'd be an amazing coincidence if he hadn't been reading it. Yeah. So we do get a boss cage flashback to when he was uh, still learning to be one of the bosses, and his mom pretty much tells him that they can't really make any change, and that their job is to hold on, and change will eventually come. And it's this really horrifying thing to think yeah. about. Because it's saying, don't try and change the world that you're in. Yeah. And uh, well, that's that's quite that's quite dreadlike as well. In that dreads always certainly in universe, dreads thinking has always been hold on against chaos, keep the status quo going. Don't you know? Because if you let it slip, it'll get worse. Mm-hmm. It's also noticeable that right after he's finished having this flashback, he admits to Boss Sanders that it's not even his memories. It's the memories of, you know, the person he's been cloned from. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a sort of interesting thing as well. That's something that fits much more in the Marvel in the Marvel universe than in the Dread universe. Dread never really considers his clonehood. He never really acts about it. Occasionally he'll think about it if the person he's cloned from is brought up or uh, or one of one of the other clones. But as a rule he doesn't act about it. So this is this is much more of a Marvel thing. And then he also finds out he, that he's been retired. Meanwhile, the Dark Avengers have reached the source of the power, but Ghost, who has been trying to track a message that Luke Cage sent that would sort of be a beacon for them to get home, has also discovered that the power source that the Dark Avengers have been trying to get to ends up leading to the massive desolation of the world that leads to this dark future that they're in. And so Ghost sends back a message that they're going to try and prevent it, and he passes back on the information that he knows from the future to uh, the people who are fighting FACT, who I got the name wrong there, the Federal Advisory Committee to the Thunderbolts. Well. Acronyms. The Thunderbolts and the mutants team up and break through the wall, and Boss Cage, uh, even though he knows that he 
really can't do much. He has been able to listen to what the Thunderbolts have been saying somehow. And so he had, he heads over to the shield tower that also controls the communications, saying that he's going to defend it and all the other bosses are like, yeah, that's that's all that you're good for at this point. And yeah. so when the Thunderbolts show up there, he asks, are you going to prevent this world? And Moonstone, who is a psychologist, she's very manipulative. She's about to lie to him, and Centurion just admits, yes, that's what we're going to do. And Boss Cage just looks out on all the violence that's going on and lets him do it. This is where the influence of the Marvel Universe, you can really feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is probably the biggest break with how Dread would handle that situation. In that I'm, I'm reminded, it's, it's very interesting, that panel where he's sort of looking out of the violence and desolation and explosions. Because uh, there was a panel like that early, early in Dread where he was... He was coming back from a mission on the moon and looking looking down at the city, which, you know, was, was pretty violent and hellish. And um, looking out of the window, and there's this speech that gets sort of brought back to a few times, which is along the lines of, and I'm going to have to try and remember it from memory, but it's something like uh, Mega City 1, 800 billion people, uh, the most violent, vicious, a crime, uh, a crime happens every something on the second. The most violent, vicious city on earth, and God help me, I love it. And there's a thing where it's kind of, you come back to it again and again that Judge Dredd enjoys what he does. He enjoys the violence, he enjoys the thing. There's one part of him that will be like talking about holding back the chaos and paying lip service to sort of this this idea that he's there to sort of make sure the violence doesn't touch anyone. But there's another part of him that is an adrenaline chunky that is like constantly wanting to be out on the street, breaking heads, like doing damage. There was a recent story where they offered him they offered him Chief Judge and it looked like he was going to get it. It looked like there was um, and this was presented as a cliffhanger mm-hmm. because this is a living hell and like you kind of he immediately goes into a sort of vision of him kind of behind a desk signing a load of papers and like you know just the and the immediate idea is that this would be the end of his life is, is if he could not go out on the streets and break people's heads. So yeah, so this boss cage sort of looking looking out of the window and based as to erase all this is I'd say that's probably our first massive departure uh, from the world and it's the point where we're telling a Marvel story and yeah. not a dread story. So the team is able to get the signal that they need, so Man Thing is able to bring them back in time. Uh, The Dark Avengers have gone rogue, even though Cage is telling them, hey, you need to stop, and what you're doing with the power source. Uh, They don't listen to him, so the Thunderbolts come back, defeat the Dark Avengers, and prevent the Dark Future by severing the massive energy connection that was going to desolate the world. And so the last, one of the last panels that we get is a cutback to the Mondo City future where Boss Cage is taking off his helmet and looking at everything, and then, like, the fourth panel down, you just see Luke Cage's face instead, and he's like, it's time to go. Because one thing that uh, people listening to this who don't know Dread will have probably heard through the grapevine of osmosis is that Dread never takes off his helmet, and in the cads, his face has never been shown. Mm-hmm. To the extent that um, in a very, very early story in, like, Prog 9 of 2008, where the artist sort of drew him taking off his helmet and sort of showing this face. Editorial slapped a giant sensor and stick it over it. <laughs> and the the argument was that his face was too hideous to sort of to behold. <laughs> but since then, it's it's been much more just his face is kept in shadow. It's he's always wearing his helmet. He wears his helmet in the bed. It's it's a whole thing. He never takes off his helmet. And and they, this was referenced uh, yeah. because there's a bit where all the other bosses are talking about him and it's like oh yeah he never takes off his helmet mm-hmm. so to have to have him take off his helmet uh, that's again that feels like a moment where it stops being a dread story and it starts being a kind of Luke Cage style story or it's a dread story that doesn't need to continue yeah that's another another reading of it um, but either way he takes off his helmet and the world ends that's uh, you know, that's a, uh, 
that's a statement of a kind. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really kind of powerful powerful moment yep. uh, to end on for for Boss Cage. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. that that was really the last we saw of it until your Captain that Britain and the Mighty Defenders. Um, and what happened there was I got the words uh, on the email of what what Secret Wars was going to be, which was basically Battle World and the um, the various domains fighting it out, uh, various sort of alternate alternate realities. And basically, I immediately decided that I wanted to do Mondo City, the Judge Dreadhomic. And to be honest, if, if Jeff Parker hadn't created Mondo City, I would probably have gone back to Justice Peace and used Brooklynopolis. But either way, I'd have I'd have done what I did, which was basically to write it as close to Dread as I possibly could. To the extent that I with Boss Cage I'm essentially writing Dread. Obviously I've written written quite a lot of Dread in my time. So it's it was basically using the same muscles and basically just um, using the same sort of verbal tics, the same kind of the same cadence to the speech, uh, all of this stuff. But yeah, without without obviously without you know Jeff Parker writing such a perfect homage uh, for Kev Walker to draw, I don't know if I'd have gone that far. But it was a wonderful thing to be able to bring Dread into the Marvel universe again, thanks to. You know, thanks for these homages. Yep. Uh, it's a lovely thing to be able to do that. Okay. And then to uh, wrap up this episode, we have Trials of the Multiverse. And uh, the Dark Avengers uh, Boss Cage universe is not actually numbered, but Justice Pieces universe is numbered. It is 869371, which... Huh. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just wondering what that... If that's uh, a reference to that thing. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it first appeared in, uh, September of 1986, so that's where the 80, uh, 86 and 9 come out, and then the first issue was, was Thor number 371. Oh, man, brilliant. Yeah. So, so I guess by that, you could, um, you could come up with a number for the Boss Cage University. Oh, theoretically. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well, so is that, is that going into the, into the pot, the... Uh, yeah. Uh, have you gotten a chance to look at the multiversal list? Um, I, only, only a quick, like, only a yeah. quick scan of it. Um, so I don't know if I'll be able to, uh, fully, to, yeah. to fully cast my vote. The, uh, universe itself was pretty, uh, we don't get a lot of it, but we get the we justice piece from it. We, we don't get much. We do get justice piece. We get, uh, Brooklynopolis is... Brooklynopolis is a very good, a very good gag. So uh, that that would earn an extra point. Yes. Um, the fact that it's uh, quite plainly a sort of, I mean, how much how much value does it borrow from from the source material? Because uh, we're sort of extrapolating a lot on it based on on where it's from. So um, I'm sort of I'm very curious about Brooklynopolis. I'm kind of. I'm quite sorry that I've sort of done my trade homage for a while. It'd be a few years before I could uh, I could do anything with Brooklynopolis, but I'm very curious about what it's like. It doesn't try and answer everything, which yeah. works in its uh, defense. Uh, I mean, if we're if we're ranking it against the other Marvel, I guess Mondo City is more of a kind of closed loop. Since that's not really a, an alternate future, it was the actual future that got prevented. So I guess that's kind of off the table. Um, oh, no. Well, no, Mondo City will also go on as its own thing, because even though it's a closed loop, it did occur in the Marvel Universe, which means that there is yeah. universes where it unfortunately still exists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, have you got the one where Future Thor? Uh, no. The the ones that we have up in the like top area is like Daredevil, End of Days, uh, Old Man Logan... Uh, Superman Red Sun is on there. Oh, so it's not just Marvel. No, it's a uh, mix. But I didn't have enough time to uh, hunt down the DC yeah. Judge Dredd universes. Well, well, um, <laughs> Dredd's Dredd's time in DC is uh, is patchy. 
I, I have that lot. I've got to give it to Red Sun. Yeah. Red Sun really was um, really was an amazing read at the time. Um, and, you know, Old, Old Man Logan was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, the same is true for the Daredevil one, but uh, Red Sun, it really, um, I think that one's really sort of stood the test of time a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, does, it does have a great ending. Well, I'm going to uh, put it like just under uh, Mondo, or I'm going to put Mondo City number one, which, uh, using the formula that we talked about, would be Earth nine one two one seven seven. Okay. And that's going to be in our fourteen spot, right under Old Man Logan. Oh right, cool. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty high. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, it's a very well developed universe. And then I'm going to uh, drop down a bit more to. Number twenty-eight for the Justice Peace uh, Brooklynopolis universe. Okay, and where whereabouts is that in relation to other alternate Uh That is twenty-eight. Right above it is Callisto, Mistress of Mysticism, which was a uh, Exiles one-shot universe, and then it's right above What If Spider-Man Fought Paste Pot Pete, which ended up with its own universe. What if Spider-Man fought Paste Pot Pete? Uh, they both end up. Uh, tied up in an alleyway, but Spider-Man's weapon goes away after an hour, so Pace Pot Beat escapes first. Well, I'm glad Justice Pace beat them. But, yeah, no, that's, yeah. That, sounds, that sounds about right. That okay. Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast, but sometimes we do uh, extra episodes like these. You can find us at multiversalq.com, along with image galleries to go along with each episode, and other notes and bits that... We weren't able to get in time for the episode, so if Jeff Parker is able to respond in time, you can find our uh, messages there. If you have things that you think that need to be mentioned about Judge Dredd, you can message us at multiversalq at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at multiversalq. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Uh, I'm personally on Twitter as at Coltreg, K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Uh, my normal podcast host is Devin. He's at Fred Ophet, F-R-E. E-D-O-F-E-T-T. And then, Al, where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter on uh, Al underscore Ewing. And that's, that's my Twitter handle, and that's where you can find me. Um, and, yeah, uh, please correct any... Uh, please, uh, everyone, correct me on Dread and uh, fill in any gaps that I've left, because I've left several. And uh, I know all Dread fans can... Uh, have a lot to say on the subject of dreads, so I'm uh, looking forward to reading that. Uh, thank you. Thank you very yep. much for having me on. Thank you for being on, and then later this week we're going to have a interview with Al Ewing talking about his upcoming series, Contest of Champions. See you then! Yeah.